206-414-7674. That is 206-414-7674. Please note that no client-attorney relationship will develop from these questions and answers, and I ask you to take um, legal advice from your lawyer, but please use this as information only. So stay tuned. We have a very special guest. Um, I want to tell you some news updates before I tell you about my guest. Um, uh, Yesterday, there was some news development on student visas. People who come to the U.S. on student visas are allowed to get work permission for 12 months. If those students have a degree in science, technology, engineering, and math, then they get the opportunity of having additional time to work after they graduate. Um, Up until a couple of months ago, the additional time was about 17 months in addition to the 12 months. But unfortunately, there was a case that was held in Washington, D.C., and the case was brought by um, a group called the Washington Alliance of Technology Workers. And the case basically argued that the procedures used to develop the rules were, were not done properly. So the judge actually struck down the rule, and now um, the administration is trying to fix the problem. So new rules were actually published yesterday, 19th of October. Uh, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, published the rules on, in the Federal Register. And so here are what the rules will be about. If somebody has a STEM degree and they want to get on the OPT program, in addition to the 12 months, they will be able to get 24 months instead of 17. If they then enroll for a new STEM degree uh, at a higher level, like a master's degree after an undergraduate degree, for example, they would be entitled to a fresh 24-month period. And that's wonderful because um, 17 months is often not enough. Um, The rule will expand the categories under which um, the STEM program uh, is considered. So uh, right now, uh, science, technology, engineering, math is very restricted. Um, So the new rules will broaden the categories and that will hopefully help more students get work experience. There will, however, be additional restrictions on employers that use this program. Employers will have to use E-Verify. They will have to have a process for evaluating students um, and their work. They cannot lay off U.S. workers as a result of hiring OPT workers. The other restriction that will happen is that um, OPT students can have a period of 90 days of unemployment at the moment. However, under the new program, the STEM students will not be able to have more than 60 days of unemployment. We can talk about this a little bit more if we have time um, at the end of the show, but uh, I want to take the opportunity to now introduce you to our wonderful, wonderful guest. You are listening to Immigration with Tamina Watson. If you've just tuned in on Desi 1250, thank you for joining us. I am very thrilled and honored to introduce you to our very, very first guest on our show. There are some people who want to make change, and there are some who just do it. Our guest today is one of those people who sees a problem and he jumps to fixing it. 
I call him a mentor, a friend, and I cannot learn enough from him. And I'm so grateful that he's here to talk to you today. His name is Joel Paget. He is a wonderful lawyer in Seattle. He's been here um, in the Seattle area. Um, Joel Paget is a senior member of the immigration group at Ryan Swanson and Cleveland PLLC in Seattle. He has over 30 years of experience with an emphasis on business and tax issues. Joel is an active member of both the National and the Washington State Chapter of the American Immigration Lawyers Association and is a trustee of the Seattle Pacific University. He was an adjunct professor of business law for 10 years at SPU and chairman of the taxation section and a bar examination examiner of the Washington State Bar Association. Joel continues to be recognized as one of the best lawyers in 19, since 1991 to today. Welcome, Joel. Thank you so much for being here. Tamina, it is a pleasure to be on your radio program. Uh, I admire how you stay so current on what is happening in immigration law and the way you uh, broadcast that information. I mean, you, your blog, your radio program, everything is current, right up to what you're talking about, STEM, today. So I just admire how you get the information out to everybody and stay on top of things. So it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much. Well, listeners, um, us women uh, are still fighting for a lot of things today in 2015. We're fighting for equal pay. We're fighting for equal rights. Uh, we're fighting for equal repro- reproductive rights. So you can't believe to, in this day and age we're fighting for plan, Planned Parenthood. But there are many things that we actually take for granted. For example, uh, we take for granted that we can vote today. Many of the millennials probably don't remember that women couldn't vote. Um, but there are other things that uh, we take for granted. And one of those things is actually a very important one. Um, Joel, why don't you tell us something that women couldn't do until recently? Well, the one, the one that I think we've talked about uh, that I got involved with was for about 60 years, and since from 1934 up until mid-1990s, women who were U.S. citizens who had children born abroad could not transfer their citizenship to their children, but U.S. fathers could. So there's just an absolute discrimination against women uh, as far as transferring on their citizenship. And that, that law went into effect in May 24th of 1934. And like I say, stood on the books for 60 years. Wow. Talk about discrimination. How can women bear a child but not pass on the, the, the U.S. citizen status? That's quite ridiculous. How did you come across this problem? Well, I was co-chair of the Citizenship Committee for the American Immigration Lawyers Association, the National Association, and it came to my attention that there was a case down in California where uh, a woman uh, decided to take on the Immigration Service uh, on that particular issue, saying that is discriminatory and she should be able to transfer on her citizenship rights to her children that were born abroad. And the the district court judge in California agreed with her. But it took her a lot of money and time to get to that conclusion. And it was only just one woman that was able to gain that. And it it seemed to me, when I saw that, I just thought, this this is shocking that people, uh, you know, women have to go to court, spend that money, I mean, thousands of dollars to obtain a right that they should have just naturally. 
and so I looked at that law that was on the books from 1934 and said, you know, there's there's three branches of government. There's there's the uh, executive branch, which can do some things by regulation, uh, like the STEM regulations that you're talking about. I mean, they can they can make some changes, and and the court can make some changes, but the court does it one person at a time. The way to change this thing for everybody, really, and make it legal is through Congress and just and just change the law and make it retroactive. Now, Congress, as we know today, doesn't really do much. In, um, in the area of immigration. Well, yeah, in, probably in, everything. In, but, in yeah, the area immig- of immigration Immigration for sure. Right, for sure. Uh, so when, yeah. when, what year was this that we're talking about? This is 1991, and it was still a period where uh, not much was going on. You remember in 1996 we got a, a terrible act passed. So, you know, it, the Congress over the years really hasn't been all that friendly to immigration. Uh, so it was kind of in between the Amnesty Act uh, way back in 1986 with Ronald Reagan, and then it was a period of time where things got very conservative. So not a lot was going on, but this was one of those things where you tried to do, and in fact, it, it actually ended up being sort of a technical amendment bill. I, and I think the, the mood is the same today, I think, basically. So tell us about your journey of discovering how to change law. Well, we got one congressman down in California to uh, and a staffer to help us uh, introduce it. We uh, drafted it up, and they uh, got got it introduced into the House of Representatives. And then Senator Kennedy over on the Senate side, Ted Kennedy, uh, got interested because he was chair of the Judiciary Committee on that side. Uh, but what it what it took was uh, several years for that to even every year that had come up. Other Congress people say that's a great idea, but uh, let's put some other uh, amendments on it and add some of our favorite provisions. And it just loaded up the truck so much that it that it wouldn't even move. And I should add that when I first got involved, I called the State Department, a person that I knew, and I said, "This is a terrible law. I think you know, I think this is wrong that you're you're doing what you're doing." And he said, "Well, it's the law, and we have to enforce the law the way it is." So then I called over the immigration people, and the same story. You know. They basically said, you got to change the law. So uh, luckily, we had a congressperson who took this on and basically uh, was, our, was the advocate in Congress for it. And, I, and I, I know you have a bill called the Startup you know, Business Bill, Entrepreneurship Bill, and, and that's the same thing. you you got to have somebody who's going to be your champion who will make sure that that's always in front of a committee, always moving along and, and get, get passed. But it took, it took probably at least three years because every year it had come up, just too much, too much, too many amendments were added to it to kill it. How, how did you find your champion? Well, that was through uh, AILA. We we put the word out, and the American Immigration Lawyers obviously has attorneys in every state. But somebody had a representative down there that they knew that might be a champion for this. And so when we talked to him, he uh, immediately took it on. And like I say, also had a staffer there that. Uh, uh, was very much interested into it, and they they spent the time getting it done. So, if my hats off to somebody who's willing to take it on and champion it. Well, well, well. Thank you. So then, for three years you were fighting. Did you ever get disheartened? Well, I think every time that the session ends and your bill lays there on the table and it never got passed, you you wonder, you know, is next year going to be even tougher or what? But but finally, there was enough momentum. 
I think it had a couple other, uh, like I say, Senator Kennedy was, was pushing it as well, but the time was right. I think timing is critical, but it just got got through, and uh, we're all amazed that finally, after about, like I say, three years plus, it finally got passed by the uh, Congress. And I, I think one of the things that I told you about was the, the thrill of it was is it was retroactive. So people, uh, and Winston Churchill is the one I always like to refer to, Winston Churchill's mother was a U.S. citizen. So a good example of this, he was born in 1874. We passed this in 1994, basically. Wow. And he was retroactive uh, a citizen at that point, even though he's dead at that point, he probably didn't appreciate that too much. But, but still, he was he was made an honorary citizen of the United States before he passed away. But now he actually was was determined to be a U.S. citizen because his mother could pass on her citizenship rights. So, just so our listeners understand, what does retroactive mean? Okay, so so instead of having the bill um, be effective from 1994 on, it wouldn't do much. It wouldn't do much good for women who had children born before 1934 because it, it's effective in 94. So all the children that we're talking about were born before 1934. So it had to be retroactive all the way back to the beginning of time so that children that were born before May of 1934 could take advantage of that. And like I say, it goes all the way back to Winston Churchill was born in 1874 and before. They, they Even though they may not appreciate it, they actually were U.S. citizens. How interesting. Uh, you know, uh, people probably know by now that I'm from the U.K., so it's it's very interesting to hear about Winston Churchill's story. Um, if you are a listener and you have been able to utilize this particular law and you got citizenship retroactively, we would love to hear from you. If it was your grandparents, your family member that was able to use this law, we would love to hear from you. The studio number is 206 414 7674. That's 206-414-7674. Now, Joel, question following up on when the law passed. What happened to... How did you feel, first of all? Because you had made a very profound change for generations to come. Uh, tell, tell us about your feelings at the time. Well, I think I was ecstatic that, that women did not have to spend money on attorneys and, and wait to have that right passed on to their children. I mean, it, it covered, like I say, everybody backwards uh, that, that picked up their children. And so the fact that now they could just immediately go in and file and not have to spend, like I say, that time and money, that, that was a thrill. And, and it, it saved, saved, I think, so much money uh, for people that you – Again, it's it's an act of Congress. It's legislative, and I love the I love the way that legislation can do that, uh, you know, and cover so many people, uh, whereas the court can only deal with a case at a time. So it 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 was uh, an ecstatic feeling. And and did you uh, did you have people come to you afterwards that you were able to help? Well, I think I didn't gain personally by it because I, I think a lot of people file for citizenship on their own. But I've heard of cases. I mean, the, the, the fun of it is when you hear somebody, like you, like you just announced on the radio, mm-hmm. saying, is there anybody out there right now that remembers that or might even be, ta- be able to take advantage of it? But generally, you just hear the stories afterwards of people that, that took advantage of it. And, and, um, and, and sometimes they don't even know about it. Like you say, right mm-hmm. now, it could be a time when somebody realizes that, uh, you know, their grandparent might be a U.S. citizen. And uh, 
and take advantage of that because there's people born still around before 1934. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it would be somebody, probably a grandparent, that could be a U.S. citizen and, like I say, not even know it at this point. So, so the procedure, if somebody were to find out that they are somehow a U.S. citizen, what would be the procedure? Would they file an N-600 or yeah. would there be some other yeah, thing N- that they would do? N-600 or if they're, if they're overseas, some of them are overseas because they, they don't have citizenship, so they need to go into the U.S. consulate and claim their benefit. Yeah, it's it's but like I say, it's pretty straightforward, and uh, don't don't need a lot of paperwork. But you you basically have to prove that your U.S. citizen mother uh, was was indeed that before your birth, and you were born abroad. Well, thank you so much, Joel. You're an inspiration to me. Um, you know, I'm trying to change law, and I very much appreciate yeah. learning all that you have been through. On behalf of U.S. citizen women all over the country in the past, uh, all future women, thank you for taking the challenge and making such a profound change for us. We're all grateful to you. And thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Can you stay around for a little bit? I can, and like I say, it's indeed a pleasure. Wonderful. Well, listeners, uh, the call-in number for the radio show is 206-414-7674. We'd be happy to hear from you whether the law that we spoke about applies to you if you have any questions do call in um i'm going to go back and talk a little bit about the opt um, program and some of you might be wondering what it is and why it's important when somebody gets work experience in the u.s they are able to gain hands-on experience and employers are able to assess whether they would like to have uh, this particular person work for them long term so it's generally a win-win for um everybody whether they it's the student or the employer. And I deal with a lot of H-1B applications on a regular basis. And often you'll find that employers recruit from universities. Actually, that's a very frequent thing to happen. Um, And a conversation for another day, but essentially there are very few workers uh, that have the qualification that a lot of the companies need these days, particularly tech companies. If you go to Microsoft and look at their website, at any given time they have 25,000 vacancies as far as I understand. Uh, Washington State particularly is vulnerable to not being able to recruit. Um, On that note, I'll let you know that I'm speaking at the Seattle Interactive Conference that's coming up on November 3rd and 4th. If you are in the tech industry or in Seattle interested in knowing more about uh, what's happening at the Seattle Interactive Conference, please go to their website and register. I'll be talking there about these very issues. Uh, But the OPT program is very much intertwined into this. and the, the update is also very important. Joel, do you have anything to say about the STEM OPT program? Well, I, I think your emphasis on this is important, given the fact that, that 30% of the H-1B petitions were accepted. So anybody who wants to go from OPT to H-1B almost needs to be uh, in status for more than one one year going through that because April comes up, they don't get it accepted in the lottery. They need additional time to be here to go through another lottery and hope that they make it. Uh, so 
you know, it's important that people be aware of this, like you're saying, that they need to take advantage of it and, and be available for that lottery over more than one year because the, the odds are against you, mm-hmm. basically, that you're going to get accepted. And just because you didn't make it one year doesn't mean you're going to make it the next. Uh, and I know we put a colored sheet on our H-1B petition saying, please accept me because I didn't get accepted last year. But oh, that's unfor- good. That's a good, that's but, a good but unfortunately, idea. <laughs> I don't think it, it necessarily works. So. Well, I, I, I know if you, if you are a student, if you have a family member that's a student, I'd say keep an eye on this particular a proposal, this um, rule, it's going to likely affect you. Um, and if if you have any questions about what your options might be in the future, tune in for another show in the future. We'll be talking about options that could work. Um, I have had students call me, um, in, in, you know, grief-stricken practically because those who are on the STEM OPT program can only work until February 2016. That's how long the judge has given them. So it's very, very important that um, you keep an eye on this. I know that a lot of people from the Indian subcontinent are coming here for the best and best schools that they can attend. And this program is important to to all of them. A lot of a lot of my clients, a lot of my readers, Joel's clients, a lot of the listeners. I am sure. So please keep an eye on our blog as well, which is Watson Immigration Law um, blog, um, which you'll find at www.watsonimmigrationlaw.com. We'll welcome questions that you can send in advance so we can give you a pathway um, to, you know, figure out what you're going to do next. Um, we There will be a 30-day comment period after which the federal rule will actually be finalized. So very, very important time to to keep this in mind. I want to take a moment to tell you about a wonderful movie I watched over um, last weekend, and I actually didn't get a chance to tell Joel. Um, it's my next... Um, advocacy piece that I'm really going to talk about. Um, The Seattle South Asian Film Festival, which um, lasts until October 25th, uh, had an opening day of for here or to go it's a private screening um, movie only at this point if you're interested I would highly recommend watching it Um, find a place where you can watch it it's all about the high skilled immigration problem that we have the movie depicted several characters that would have various stages of the immigration backlog and how temporary life is in the US without a secure visa I highly recommend watching it find out about it Um, see if you can do um, uh, promote it uh, or have a way to screen it among yourselves um, or contact me so I can help you. Highly recommend it. It's an advocacy piece. It's a funny movie. It will touch you, particularly if you're from the Indian subcontinent and particularly if you're from, from India where the visa backlog is particularly high. So I'm afraid we're coming to the end of our show. Um, we don't have a lot of time left, but if you do have questions, you are very welcome to email me at info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. I'd love to hear your feedback and your thoughts on the show or anything else. If there are issues that you would like me to discuss in the future, please email me about it. I'd be happy to look at it. I'm an I'm a absolute geek at heart, and if I don't know the answer, I will legal research the answer for you and tell you what it 
is. I may even chart it out for you. Um, and sometimes uh, my office will tell you that they're not always happy about my charts because I chart them out. Um, I will ask you to call in at the number of 206-414-7674 next time. Watch out for our future guests. Um, next week, we will have a very prominent uh, person talking about her efforts uh, on immigration law. Um, watch out for Pramila Jayapal. She is going to be on our show. Uh, we're very, very honored and grateful that she'll appear. Um, and in the future, we have many other interviews lined up. I'd ask you to um, go and find the movie uh, for here, for here or to go. Um, and I will be interviewing the filmmaker, um, Rishi, and the um, uh, producer, the director, Rucha. Um, so watch out for those. Uh, I'll be going to California on Thursday, where I hope to um, interview some other people. I'm going to tell you about the Global Entrepreneur in Residence program, and we'll have an interview for that coming up. So thank you so much for being with us today. We will look forward to seeing you next week. Um, and we will look forward to hearing from you. Thank you so much. This is Tamina Watson, Immigration with Tamina Watson and Desi, 1250 AM.